Hey, everybody. Thank you for tuning in to The Naturalist Capitalist. I'm your host, Reed Coverdale. Um, man, it's uh, been a wild couple days. Um, all the votes haven't been counted yet all the way across the country, but most of the races have been decided, and there was definitely no red wave. Um, that was forecasted by a lot of people, and it definitely did not end up happening. I certainly bought into it. I definitely thought there was going to be a red wave. I have not been this wrong since 2016. That was the last time I was this off. I for sure thought Hillary Clinton was going to win the election against Donald Trump. Obviously, she didn't. Um, and I, I really thought just about every Republican running for Senate and a lot of them running for House were going to win. Um, and they didn't. Some of them got beaten very soundly by the Democrats. Um, I mean, I thought Masters was going to win by a good amount. That race is still unfolding. He still could barely scrape that one out, maybe. But if he does, it's by a very small margin. Uh, Baldick got royally stomped here in New Hampshire. Um, Carolyn Levitt got royally stomped. I'll pull the results up in a little while. Um you know, Oz lost to Fetterman. <laughs> I really didn't think that was going to happen. I know I've made jokes about that for the last few weeks, but I really, after that debate, I, I could not believe that, that, uh, Fetterman won. That's absolutely amazing. Um, but yeah, before we get into the specifics of any of the nationwide races, let's talk about New Hampshire. So I have been on Jeremy Kaufman's campaign for the last, six seven eight months uh well let's see no last six months roughly uh or no five months june since june so the last five months um and it's been a lot of fun i i want to just start off by you know thanking jeremy for running uh, it was a really fun campaign to be on we put out lots of ads the messaging from the twitter accounts was really fun we stirred up a lot of hornet's nests um protesting at the debates and you know, things getting a little heated occasionally. All that was a lot of fun. And uh, I just really want to thank him for running. Um, this race did not turn out how we thought it would at all. We really believed what the media and the polls were saying about the high possibility that this race would be playing out for a few days and that there might even be a recount. We were told it was going to come down to the decimal points, in fact. So I'm just going to play a clip uh, from WMUR. This is uh, from the day before the election, I believe. Uh, and this is what they were saying at the time. For those who are impatient, uh, you're going to need some patience tomorrow, particularly with these folks. Uh, the race for the U.S. Senate, which looks like a complete toss-up heading into the final hours of this race. Well, nobody should be making any predictions here. This is one that the prognosticators got right in the sense that they said 18 months ago this is going to be a very close race. And that's exactly what it's going to be tomorrow. In the last hour, we discussed why each campaign here has a reason to be optimistic. Now, let's take a look at some of the warning signs for each of these candidates. First, Senator Hassan. Set aside all of the issues that are out there. It's just one of the truisms of American politics that when people are feeling economic pain, they tend to respond at the ballot box by punishing the party in power in Washington, particularly if that party holds the White House and the Congress. Add to that, it's a midterm as well, which also tends to be rough for the party in power. So before you consider anything else, Senator Hassan is facing a significant political headwind tomorrow that may prove too stiff to overcome for a candidate who won her first race in 2016 by just 1,017 votes. For Don Boldick, there are two questions Tuesday that will be answered for us by the voters. One is whether enough swing voters and undeclared voters feel comfortable with the idea of him as a U.S. senator. Boldick has done a terrific job winning over the new Trump Republican base of the party. And the polls show he succeeded in bringing home a lot more of those Republicans who might have been on the fence over the last two months after the primary. But if he hits a ceiling with swing voters who are still wary of Trump-style Republican politics, that could be a problem in a very close race. And perhaps most pressing is the question of what kind of get-out-the-vote operation Bullock will be able to put together tomorrow. We know Senator Hassan has the resources and the people necessary to drive voters to the polls, literally, tomorrow. Bullock has been at a huge fundraising disadvantage in this race, and he, if he isn't able to compete with that ground game, that could be the difference between winning and losing. But bottom line, even with these deficits, both candidates are in a position to win tomorrow. One important note. I've spoken to a lot of operatives on both sides of the aisle, Democratic and Republican. They're united in one thing. 
No one has any idea what's going to happen tomorrow. They describe this political environment as kind of weird. Both sides are motivated. Both feel like they have reason to be optimistic tomorrow. We'll so, um, yeah, you know, no idea who's going to win. Could go either way. Um, very, very close. It's going to be down to the decimal points. And that is not at all what happened. So I'm going to show you the actual results of, you know, what ended up happening. So here we got uh, New Hampshire 2022 election results. U.S. Senate, Maggie Hassan got, you know, 50, almost 54% of the vote. And then Don Baldick got 44%. And then Jeremy currently has just under 2%. So she beat him by 10 points, which is absolutely crazy. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm a little lost for words. I did not see that coming. Um, I honestly thought that Baldick was going to... Um, I thought Baldick was going to edge her out by a little bit just because he was running such a charismatic campaign. You know, he had tons of town halls. He was on the ground all the time, meeting people face to face. So, I, I mean, all the energy was behind him. I thought that he was going to pull an upset victory. And some of the polls leading up to Election Day, he was actually pulling a point ahead of her. So... I just figured he was like the more populist of the two candidates because he was on the ground all the time doing the footwork. And I, I, I really thought he was going to win. Um, and he didn't. <laughs> and, and so he was an awful candidate from my perspective. Like he was a good candidate as far as his strategy and his, um, you know, his uh, charisma and his personality, like all that stuff was good, but for my views he was awful i mean i you guys know you've seen the videos i've put up about him like never met a war he didn't like he actually scared me a lot more than hassan on a foreign policy front because hassan was predictable you knew that um you know you knew what she was going to support she was just going to support the democratic uh agenda basically and um you know there wasn't going to be much shock and awe with the way she went about things um she's made a couple surprising disappointing votes where she's voted with the republicans to extend the patriot act stuff like that but for the most part she's just kind of a typical corporate democrat hack and you just know how she's going to be baldick was a lot more unpredictable and a lot scarier on foreign policy which is really important when you're in the senate um so the last month or so we've really been more um taking more shots at baldick because he was drawing more libertarian support for some reason, like a lot of Liberty Republicans or libertarian leaning people in New Hampshire were getting out to vote for him just because they wanted to get rid of Hassan. And I don't mind as much when people say, look, this is just the thing I got to do. We just got to get rid of this other person. And that's why I'm going to vote for this guy. So like uh, Alu Axelman, one of the free staters here in New Hampshire, he voted for Baldick, but he never he never lied about Baldick. He never pretended he was something he wasn't fully admitted like, yeah, he's an awful candidate, but I just got to do the right thing here and get rid of, uh, you know, get rid of Hassan. If that's your argument, I disagree, but OK, whatever. At least you're being real about it. A lot of people were trying to whitewash Baldick as though he were actually anti-military industrial complex, which is just ridiculous. He's the he's like the most hawkish Republican maybe other than Chuck Grassley running for uh, Senate. Just he's awful. <laughs> um, so, you know, at least be real about who you're supporting. That's that's all I ask, I guess. But I actually wanted him to lose because I felt like if he got in there, he wasn't going to be held accountable to the standards that I care about. So, yeah, the Democrats might shit on him for being an election denier or you know, uh, being too extreme of a right winger or something, but it's just empty criticism. It doesn't matter. Like who gives a shit about that type of stuff? It's, you know, he, the Republicans would have given, you know, a, a blind eye to all his warmongering, any of his support for the, uh, you know, um, the, the central intelligence agency or the FBI. Like he, he gave lip service to wanting to abolish the FBI, but you know, 
Baldick, once he gets in there, he's just going to do whatever he can to support uh, the three letter agencies and things like that. So um, I didn't want him to win. I would, I prefer Hassan being reelected just because at least she'll be held accountable. And I don't think he was going to actually slow anything down. I think in fact, if it came down to uh, a situation where there was some sort of gridlock on like the war in Ukraine or something, I actually think Baldick would have sided with Joe Biden against Republican dissenters who don't want to send money over there. I realize he changed a little bit of his rhetoric surrounding Ukraine toward the end there, but it was obviously because his handlers were like, yo, dude, you are saying like some crazy, crazy hawkish shit, and it's not going to fly with your supporters. So try to tone it back a little. But even in the latest debate, when he's pushed on it, it's obvious what he still thinks. Like, yeah, the, you know, they invaded Ukraine because we pulled out of Afghanistan or whatever. It's just like, <laughs> he, he's a total, total hawk. So I absolutely didn't trust him to hold the line on any important issue when it came to foreign policy. And I totally, um, you know, totally expected him to push for crazier shit than what's going on now. You know, Don, uh, um, Joe Biden is too much of a dove for Don Baldick. He was upset that he wasn't willing to be aggressive enough. So no regrets over Baldick losing, but I think if we had seen accurate polling before this election, if we knew Hassan was going to blow him out by 10 points, we would have had a little bit different strategy because we really thought this was going to be like a basically a 50 50 race. And then we were going to cover the spread because it was going to be so close. Um, and then even if we even if we had gotten less, if we'd gotten less than one percent, we still could have covered the potential spread. We thought it was going to be down to decimal points. Um, so the idea was, OK, if the Republicans lose and they see the libertarians are covering the spread, then hopefully they'll get upset at us and say, hey, guys, what the fuck? You should have come out and voted for our guy. And we could say, look, you had the right candidate to get our support, Bruce Fenton, and you didn't vote for him in the primary. You didn't nominate him. And so we aren't going to vote for a war hawk. If you want us to vote for Republicans to go to federal office, then you need to support Republicans who at least lean in our direction. They don't have to be pure libertarians necessarily, but they at least got to placate us on some things where Baldick was, he just wasn't willing to do it. Or, you know, maybe he'd say something that sounded kind of good when he was talking to us, but then the next day he'd say the exact opposite. He'd flip flop all the time. So there was absolutely no reason to trust him whatsoever. So, <clears throat> I mean, there, there was nothing to gain there was nothing to be gained out of him winning but if we had known it was going to be this much of a blowout i don't think we would have gone as hard at him over the last couple of weeks we probably would have just run more you know an equal opportunity attack campaign because previously it had been much more evenly spread it was aimed at hassan and him and then over the last two weeks we aimed a lot more at him obviously and we still would criticize Hassan but it was like yeah I mean no one who's thinking about voting for Hassan is thinking about voting for us but uh yeah when there's a 10 point spread and we only have two points we can't even claim to have spoiled the election can't even do that um and not too many people have even been saying that we did that but the few who do you know even though we'd like to take credit for it, it's like dude if even if literally all of us voted for Baldock uh, it would have gone to a six point spread, um, <laughs> you know, instead. So, I mean, it's just like, or no, I mean, it would have been an eight point spread, you know, it, it just wouldn't have mattered. Like, um, it, it would have, uh, it would have been way too huge for us to close anything. Um, so just like, a, I don't know, just a, a, a blind side with how this race turned out. Um, I guess people just really care about abortion a lot more than anybody thought they would. Uh, some people were assuming this. I remember when the leak first came out back in the spring, whenever that was, I did think, wow, this is not good for the Republicans. This might swing things more toward the Democrats. But that was quite a while ago. And so much shit is hitting the fan with inflation and with this war escalating in Ukraine that I thought, okay, Maybe, I mean, the perception, even if it's not true out there, is that the Republicans oppose the war and Republicans oppose spending. 
So I thought that was going to have a, you know, I thought that was going to weigh on people's hearts a lot more heavily than it did. Obviously, it didn't. Um, but, uh, yeah, <laughs> I'm still, I'm still in shock to be honest. Um, you know, the other thing that became obvious throughout this election was that Donald Trump's endorsement really doesn't mean anything anymore. Uh, I mean, tons of his candidates are losing or if they're getting by, they're just barely, barely, barely getting by. So, uh, you know, Carrie Lake and Blake Masters, they might win, but if they do, it's just by the just by the skin of their teeth um you know baldick trump endorsed lost uh carolyn levitt trump endorsed lost lauren bobert is barely winning that that's down to the decimal points last time i looked out in colorado it's virtually a tie and she's just going to come out on top by a tiny amount it looks like um you know oz obviously lost to fucking fetterman like give me a break um who else um you know, uh, Tudor Dixon lost to Gretchen Whitmer. Can you imagine losing to Gretchen, Gretchen Whitmer after the last two years? And it wasn't that close. It was off by several points. I mean, that's just insane. Uh, here, let's uh, let's actually pull up the map here. Um, let's see. Well, actually, before I get into the national races, let's just go over the rest of new hampshire um here we go so um for governor uh sununu won 57 of the vote that's not surprising at all he that that's the closest one to the polling and he actually didn't win by quite as much as they thought he would but chris sununu is a pro gun democrat he's like a, a typical centrist republican who gives the Democrats a lot of stuff they want, but he's pro-gun. He does veto gun control legislation, and that's all you have to do to get Republican support is veto gun control legislation. So as long as he wants that seat, he's basically good. So I have not talked about this this entire campaign publicly because I was, I've been trying to be a team player. Carlin Borsenko was an awful, awful candidate. And I don't have anything personally against her. She's never accosted me. So this isn't a jab at her as an individual. I actually don't know her that well. Um, but she was just a terrible candidate. She didn't run a campaign at all. I don't think she even had a campaign website. She definitely didn't have any signs, never had any events uh, on Twitter. She was just getting into you know personal spats with people back and forth. She never was posting about why she was, you know, a great libertarian governor. And then when she did, it was all about putting cameras in schools. There was nothing about defend the guard legislation. There was nothing about, um, I shouldn't say nothing. There were probably a couple posts here and there, but it was very, very rare that like some solid libertarian gubernatorial candidate messaging was put out there. So she lost to Kelly Halderson who was Nick Sarwark's candidate for governor here in New Hampshire. Um, you know, she got just over half of what she got. So we had two slots for governor on the ballot and Kelly Halderson, who was not endorsed by the LP New Hampshire, but ran as a libertarian actually got more votes than her. And to be fair, I believe I wasn't here yet, but in January when she was nominated, it was agreed that she was basically just going to be a paper candidate uh, which means she wasn't really supposed to run much of a campaign or anything. But anyone who was like saying that that was a good campaign is just delusional. It wasn't. I mean, it was it was a joke. Um, so that's that's why this happened, because there was no campaign. There was no footwork at all. There were no signs made. I don't believe there's even a campaign website. Um, I personally didn't vote for governor. Um, I just left it blank because I didn't want to vote for her. Uh, cause uh, she just doesn't represent my values. Uh, Kelly Halderson, I don't know very well, but didn't bother to vote for her either because, uh, it's kind of shitty how they're running a candidate outside of the LP New Hampshire. So I didn't do that. And then Chris Sununu, I don't know. I, I knew he was going to win anyway. Uh, and yeah, I would prefer him to Tom Sherman, but he sucks. So he didn't get my vote either, but that's what's going on in the governor race. 
Um, and I didn't want to talk about it publicly while the race was going on because trying to be a team player, but I think that was a mistake. I don't think that should happen again. And I don't think it will happen again, but that was what was going on there. Um, I've re- already talked about this, but Jeremy got just under 2% and Maggie Hassan just blew out Don Baldick by a ton. Um, so we're getting a lot of criticism from other libertarians around the country for how we ran this campaign. And they're saying it's because of our messaging. So first of all, if you look at the other libertarian campaigns, we did better than a lot of them. And we're on par with the ones that did well, like Mark Victor, who dropped out from the one in Arizona, he got just over 2%. Uh, and then Chase Oliver, I believe, has like 2.1% at the moment. Um, and the uh, Eric Gerhardt, I think, has 2.3 or 2.4. So all of them are within that like 2 to 3% range. So it's not like we did exceedingly horribly comparative to the rest of the country now we did underperform our past candidacies i want to talk about why that is so apparently again i wasn't here in new hampshire but when jeremy agreed to run for senate he said that he was willing to do it as long as other people were willing to take the lead with the campaign they asked him to do it he didn't volunteer to run they asked him to do it and he has a full-time job he's very busy he's been fighting the sec and you know had this lawsuit going on so he is very preoccupied so he said as long as you guys set everything up i'll do it um there was not a lot of groundwork with jeremy's campaign either we did have signs we did some sign waves we did a couple events um and you know we did the social media stuff all the time the, the reason this one didn't really take off, I think, is because of the lack of actual campaigning. There wasn't phone banking. There wasn't, um, you know, door knocking, stuff like that, um, which is fine because I guess that's some people are saying that that is actually why we did the campaign was more about the social media awareness and drawing attention to the Free State Project. That's why a lot of people wanted to do it, apparently. But um, if your campaign, if you're uh, if you're criticizing this campaign, for the messaging you're wrong because the messaging was by far the most successful part of this campaign his ads did incredibly well uh his war is retarded ad had more views than tudor dixon's ad for governor Uh, i was looking at her website the other day uh and she's got many 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 times the following jeremy does um you know the the ads were way better than maggie hassan or don baldick's ads uh and the new hampshire libertarian party messaging you know, we're the largest New Hampshire affiliate online now, and we have gained international news and nationwide news a couple times. So to argue that that is why we didn't succeed is just stupid. And we're going to keep doing that. We're going to keep the, you know, the, the aggressive social media messaging. I think we're going to keep doing videos. They're not going to all feature Jeremy anymore. They're going to feature other ones of us. But as far as like a messaging tool, that's the best thing that has come out of this campaign. So a lot of people are trying to pin it on that. It's just that there wasn't a ton of footwork with the campaign. That's why um, it didn't translate into votes. So completely fair to say that your aggressive messaging didn't translate into a lot of votes because that's true. But to say that we didn't get a lot of votes because of the messaging is just not true. And like I said, if you look at the other races around the country in the Senate, it's not like we underperformed vastly. It's not. I mean, uh, in Florida, the guy running against Rubio, he got less than 0.7%, I think, last time I looked. Uh, so, you know, there, it's not like um, it's not like things were absolutely awful in comparison. So then uh, Chris Pappas won. This was an upset. Carolyn Levitt was the favorite. She was supposed to win. I think it was actually supposed to be mirrored results from what we have here. Uh, but obviously that didn't happen. She, she lost handily to Chris Pappas, uh, the house district two, where I live, um, Annie Custer won reelection and that was expected, but there were even some polls and some people saying that there, this could be a toss up that Robert Burns could actually win this election. Obviously he didn't, he got, (laughs) he got handed to him. So the Democrats aside from governor, the Democrats did very well on the statewide races in New Hampshire. Um, so 
let's see. I'll uh, stop the screen and I'll share this to. Um, sorry, I should have had this up ready to go. But Alu actually wrote a good article about the results um, in New Hampshire. So this is published by Alu of Liberty Block. I'm just going to read this article that he put out really quick. Um, it just talks about the results in New Hampshire. Uh, so this is for like the, the state house and internal, uh, New Hampshire races. So despite everyone expecting a huge red wave on Tuesday, by the time the votes were counted, there was nothing more than a purple ripple. Republicans were expected to take majorities in the house and Senate. As of Wednesday evening, it seems like the Democrats may not lose control of either chamber of Congress. Throughout the divided states of America, Democrats performed at least as well as Republicans. In Florida, Republicans outperformed expectations, while Democrats surprised pollsters with big wins in Senate races in Philadelphia, Georgia, and Colorado. Democrats also won the governor races in Massachusetts, Maryland, Pennsylvania, Kansas, Michigan, Wisconsin, and Minnesota. But what happened in New Hampshire, the state that has been referred to as blue, red, purple, gold, and just too complicated and unique? Going into the elections, all four members of New Hampshire's congressional delegation were Democrats. On Tuesday, Congressman Pappas was expected to lose his seat to Carolyn Levitt. Senator Hassan was expected to be in a nail-biter with Don Baldick. Some even believed that Congresswoman Custer would face a serious challenge by Robert Burns. All three Democrats won re-election by at least seven points, which is generally considered a blowout in American politics. Many New Hampshire voters don't put... Uh, much stake in their representation in D.C., though. What happened in the state government? Coming into Tuesday, the Republicans controlled all four branches of the New Hampshire state government. While Governor Sununu did impose corona fascism in a terribly unpopular way, the state legislator made uh, the state legislator made great strides for liberty over the past two years. I do want to interject here. So this is coming from a libertarian perspective on a bell curve. Sununu wasn't actually that horrible. I think he's actually pretty popular with most granite staters for how little he locked the state down in comparison. But of course, we're talking about libertarians here. There were tons of reopen New Hampshire protests. Um, lots of people really hate him for what he did there. Uh, a lot of the Republicans who were voting for Baldick that I talked to were not going to vote for Sununu because of the you know temporary lockdowns he did. So uh, I just wanted to throw that in there for context. Um Let's see. Uh, Republican Sununu won re-election by the large but smaller than 2020 margin, keeping his seat as governor. The executive council remained in Republican control. The Republicans were hopeful that they might gain super majorities in one or both chambers. That did not happen. As of this writing, it seems like both the Senate and House may perfectly, may be perfectly split between the two major parties. The Republicans uh, may maintain a slim majority in the House and they may have a 13 to 11 majority in the Senate. The voters of the live free or die state clearly repudiated the strong anti-abortion messaging of the GOP, but did they also repudiate liberty? Did the most pro-liberty Republicans win their elections? According to the results that are available, it seems like at least 50 libertarians have been elected or re-elected uh, to the state representatives. Americans for Prosperity, a libertarian organization, had around 40 of their endorsed candidates win on Tuesday, including numerous first-time legislators. Keith Murphy became the first Libertarian to ever win a seat in the New Hampshire Senate. Many candidates endorsed by the New Hampshire Liberty Alliance and Reopen New Hampshire have also won their elections. Interestingly, it appears that every legislator who voted in favor of the legislation to place New Hampshire independence on the ballot won on Tuesday. Yeah, so lots of secession candidates won uh, their elections in New Hampshire. Once again, this demonstrates that supporting the right of granite staters to determine their future in the union is not a death sentence for legislators, as many people wrongly believed. Despite unprecedented attacks and seminars against them, free staters performed very well yesterday. The Free State Project is a movement to gather all libertarians throughout the United States who are tired of tyranny and tired of losing. By moving to a state that is already number one in freedom, these pro-liberty individuals could help keep New Hampshire peaceful, free, and prosperous. So that's that's good enough. I'll just leave it right there. But uh, yeah, there were certainly like good results in New Hampshire, but I think it probably would have been better if more Republicans had won statewide just because it's that much easier to push things along. Now, however, with a more divided House 
maybe the libertarians can be more kingmakers in legislation in New Hampshire where we agree with the left, for example, like, uh, you know, uh, police reform or drug legalization or something like that. Maybe that's going to be more negotiable now because Republicans just suck on that type of stuff. Um, so, yeah, let's look at the uh, let's look at the nationwide races. Um, I'm trying to I guess that kind of fully finishes out New Hampshire, though. Like, I, I don't regret working on Jeremy's campaign. It was a lot of fun. Uh, Jeremy's a great guy. I have tons of respect for him. And, um, you know, the, the ads that came out of that campaign and the messaging that came out of that campaign will live on in libertarian lore for a long time. Um, I think it's really disingenuous to blame the messaging for the lack of votes. Um, I think the lack of votes just had to do with lack of campaigning. Um, and also, like I said, if you look at the, the nationwide races, which we're going to do in a second, the the percentage isn't much different than a lot of the other Senate campaigns that took place. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I, <laughs> I also think like, if you want to win, you should run as a Republican in New Hampshire. Um, you know, I'm still involved with the Libertarian Party in New Hampshire. I think it still has a, a place. I think it's still a useful tool, but, um, I don't think it's a vehicle for winning, uh, for winning elections. I, I just really don't think that's true. Um, I was hoping to get the 4% threshold with Jeremy's race, because then you can use um, the libertarians major party status in New Hampshire to run fusion candidates. So that would mean next time if Bruce Fenton runs for Congress or even like state Senate or something, the libertarian party can endorse him, even if he runs as a Republican and can help fund his campaign. So if I, you know, I'm thinking of running for state representative. If I do that, I could have run as a libertarian Republican. I could have run on both lines, gotten in the endorsement of both parties. And, you know, it's less likely that I'm going to get heavy support from the Republican party of New Hampshire, because I don't represent a lot of what the Republican party of New Hampshire wants to see happen, even though they're a great individuals in the Republican party in New Hampshire, the establishment of the New Hampshire GOP is still rotten to the core. So if I had the full backing of the Libertarian Party of New Hampshire and the Libertarian Party in general, that could mean a lot. And, you know, that, that would have been great. But we didn't get that because we only got the 2%. So, um, you know, someone else is going to try to is going to have to try to run for some federal seat or statewide race in New Hampshire and get over 4% if they want to see that happen. But um, at this point, unless that's really what you care about it, if you if you think you could legitimately win a race in New Hampshire, I would highly suggest running as a Republican. And if you're running for state representative, it's not like you have to cuck to them on, you know, supporting the genocide in Yemen or something. This is a local race. You can literally have all the exact same opinions that you do as a libertarian, but just run as a Republican. Who cares? Like, who cares what letter is next to your name? I certainly don't. So um, I guess, you know, that that's what I'm going to uh, put out there for New Hampshire. That's that pretty much uh, sums up my thoughts. So let's get into uh, some uh, congressional uh, nationwide races. Let's see how things went. Uh, one second. I just got to pull up the screen here. Um, so, yeah, definitely not a red wave. Uh, this is what we got right now for the Senate. So Pennsylvania. Um, yeah, it looks like Eric Gerhardt, who's the. Um, I don't know if he has that entire. Let me see if I click on this, if it'll let me pull up more about it. Nope, looks like not. But uh, John Fetterman did not need to be, you know, he didn't need the Republican to be spoiled to win his election. He got 50.8 percent of the vote. So the libertarians were bragging before that they covered the spread, but they don't now. He got over 50%. So even if they had gotten 11% or something crazy, doesn't matter. John Fetterman takes that race, which is absolutely incredible. I, I do want to uh, share um, <laughs> a clip of Fetterman and just show you guys who is... Um, who is going to be a senator for six years? Because it's honestly uh, kind of terrifying and hilarious. But 
Here we go. This this is John Fetterman right here. Mr. Fetterman, we begin with you. You suffered, as you mentioned a moment ago, a stroke four days before the May primary. Last week, you released this note from your doctor saying you can work full duty in public office, but you have not released your detailed medical records surrounding your stroke. Mr. Fetterman, will you pledge tonight to release those records in the interest of transparency? You have 60 seconds. Uh, to me, for transparency is about showing up. I'm here today to have a debate. I have, you know, spe speeches in front of 3,000 people in Montgomery County, you know, all across Pennsylvania, big, big crowds. You know, I believe if my doctor believes that I'm fit to serve and, and that's what I believe is appropriate. And now with two weeks before the election, you know, I have run a campaign and I've been very transparent about being very open about the fact we're in use captioning. And I believe that, again, my doctors, the real doctors that I believe in, they all believe that I'm ready to be served. Follow up. I didn't hear you say you would release your full medical records. Why not? You have 30 seconds. No, uh, you know, again, my doctor all believes that I'm fit to be serving. And that's what I believe is where I'm standing. Okay, Mr. Fetterman. <laughs> so that is the guy. Um, someone made a tweet that I just thought was hilarious. It was... Um, Imagine trying to explain the scenario we're living in right now with everything that's going on in Ukraine, everything that's going on in Taiwan, and then all the inflation and just everything that's happening. And now imagine that there are 100 people who make the most important decisions regarding your country. And this is one of the guys you decide to put in there. It's just, it's just amazing. Um, I think it's hilarious. Um, and I'm actually, I made the statement that if I lived in Pennsylvania, I would have unironically voted for Fetterman. And I would have because, uh, man, Dr. Oz, he's a, he's just a Democrat running as a Republican. Uh, he, I mean, <laughs> the guy's a complete slimeball joke. Um, he supported vaccine mandates. He's, I mean, everything about him is awful. If you want to know more about him, go watch uh, Kyle Matovic's podcast. Um, he talks about him a lot, but th there was no reason to vote for him. And again, like once you run a Republican who's awful like that and they win, they don't get held accountable by any stretch. This is like a transparent look into how stupid democracy is and how dumb the U.S. government is. And no one's ever going to not pay attention to Fetterman. He's going to be in the spotlight the whole time because he's such a train wreck. Um, so I think it's actually a better thing for Liberty that he's in there than Dr. Oz and all the Republicans saying that, uh, Eric Gerhardt, you know, through the election, I mean, if I were a Pennsylvania libertarian, I'd like to be making that claim, but it, it's kind of like in New Hampshire where we can't even claim that that's true. It's not true at all. He, um, he did not, um, he did not affect the outcome of the election unless all of them would have voted for Fetterman, which I highly doubt. Uh, so let's pull this uh, nationwide map back up. Um, yeah, so Arizona is going to be interesting. Blake Masters could win. So yeah, Mark Victor, even though he dropped out of the race, he still has 2.1% out there, which is pretty incredible. Um, so then Georgia has been thrown into a runoff. Uh, neither Warnock nor Herschel Walker got 50%, and then Chase Oliver got 2.1%. Um, so as you're saying, like all these are around 2%-ish. That's roughly where the margin lied with uh, Libertarian candidates for Senate. Um, yeah, let's see, Florida. Uh, I think the guy has 0.7%. I forget what his name is. It's like... Uh, Really sorry that I forget the guy's name. I wish they had it up here, but um, I followed him on Twitter when I had a Twitter account. Seems like a good guy, but uh, nowhere close. Yeah, Marco Rubio uh, blew that one out of the water. So we outperformed the Libertarians in Florida for sure. Um, yeah, let's go down here to the House. So it looks like the Republicans could retake the House. Uh, I think it's going to be kind of close, but um we're we're getting there so 218 is majority republicans have 209 right now the democrats have 189 so this should have been a blowout i mean after the last two years 
<laughs> you'd think that everyone would be so pissed off and they just want to repudiate the Democrats for being such idiots. But abortion really, uh, really paid a, a heavy toll, heavier than I thought it would for sure. Uh, so governors, this one, oh man, this is just like, um, let's see, where are we? Uh, is this Michigan right here? Gretchen Whitmer got 54% of the vote. Tudor Dixon got 43. That's insane. I think I would leave Michigan if I still, if I lived there. That's just crazy. Gretchen Whitmer got reelected. That, that is incredible. Um, Florida, obviously, Ron DeSantis got reelected, uh, got like 60% of the vote. Um, yeah. Uh, let's, uh, the last thing I wanted to pull up was Florida's election results because it was really, uh, Florida is the most obvious, uh, Republican stronghold now. Uh, let's see. Um, I've got Florida's election results across the board pulled up here. So, uh, Marco Rubio got almost 60%, 57.7% of the vote. Governor Ron DeSantis got 59.4% of the vote. Um, U.S. House, they took, um, unless I'm, let's see, they took almost everything. I mean, there's a little bit there that went Democrat, but look at that map. That's solid, solid red. Um, state legislature, uh, so the state Senate and the state house, um, again, <laughs> heavy, heavy, heavy red. Um, so Florida is a Republican stronghold. If defeating wokeness and conservative values and, um, you know, being a Republican is what you want. I think it, they have solidly made the case that Florida is where you belong. So I have uh, I've often criticized Florida for putting too much faith in their executive, too much faith in Ron DeSantis, because if a Democrat wins, then, you know, all these edicts from on high that came from Ron, they could be overturned. But that argument doesn't really stand anymore because they are solidly red. They are not a swing state anymore. Lots of Republicans have moved there. They've restructured their state to be a right-wing state. So um, I, I don't think that that's necessarily true. Now, I still would criticize some of the policies, but I don't think that the argument that, oh, you know, a, a Democrat governor could just swoop in there and change everything overnight. I don't, I don't think that stands because I, I don't think he has any chance of winning. And then, you know, uh, the entire government, the, the, uh, all the federal representatives who are elected, uh, the, the senator, obviously, and then the state house and state senate, all went red heavily. So there's not really much of a case to be made for that anymore. So I think the Republican party in general is in an interesting spot right now. I wonder if the MAGA movement is dead. Um, and I don't mean like the pissed off Republicans. I just mean idolizing Donald Trump or putting all that energy onto Donald Trump's shoulders. Cause I don't think that the MAGA movement is something that was necessarily sparked by Trump. I think the pissed off Republican thing that goes back before Trump. I mean, when you had the Tea Party, a lot of those people were, you know, the same people who ended up being Trump supporters. Um, yeah, some it, it 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 took on a slightly different form under Trump, brought different people in. Uh, some people who used to consider themselves Democrats, maybe, but in general, that idea of like Republicans being pissed off as a minority and you know wanting to fight back against the norms that seem to be taking over. That's not really anything new. That's a sentiment that has existed for a long time. So I'm wondering if Trump is no longer going to be the standard bearer of that movement. Maybe it's time that it shifts. I don't really know. Um, what I would like to see happen is I would like to see things shift in a more libertarian direction. I don't, I don't think they necessarily will. The only strong case I have to make to the Republicans for wanting to do that is that there are two candidates this uh, election who performed really, really, really well, and they both stood strongly against COVID tyranny and against uh, you know censorship and for free speech. And those two candidates are Ron DeSantis, for sure, 
The other one is Rand Paul. And Rand Paul stands for actual freedom of speech, not just right-wing opinions. If you criticize Israel, he thinks you should be uh, you know, not allowed to work for state contractors because that would be Ron DeSantis. He actually stands for free speech. He's actually been a huge critic of, you know, the Biden administration's crackdown on the flow of information. And then he also opposed COVID mandates from the very beginning. You know, Ron DeSantis didn't start becoming popular until almost a whole year after the lockdowns and everything happened. It was quite a while before he started getting any, you know, media recognition for it. Rand Paul was vilified in March of 2020 for opposing the first bill that was introduced to fight COVID. He, he, he's been there from the very beginning, voted against all of them. Uh, you know, also Ukraine, that's an issue with a lot of Republicans. I don't know if you noticed, but like none of the new Republicans would commit to not one more dollar to Ukraine, uh, not one more rifle to Ukraine. Uh, Blake Masters was like sort of like friendly toward it a little bit, uh, but no one was like Marjorie Taylor Greene was like, fuck this, not one more dollar. We're not sending anything to Ukraine. They can go fuck themselves. They're not a democracy. They're a corrupt oligarchy. Like, you didn't really have that with a lot of these new Republicans. I don't know why. It seems like that was a super obvious stance to take. And the ones who did take that stance did well, like Marjorie Taylor Greene and Thomas Massey and, you know, one re-election. Um, but Rand Paul, he blocked the $40 billion to Ukraine. You know, he he made a name for himself doing that. So all the things that Republicans seem to really give a shit about, free speech, um, you know, inflation, obviously, he's been a huge crusader against inflation, against crazy spending, uh, COVID tyranny. He was the first Republican or one of the first him and Thomas Massey to stand up against all this shit. So I don't know if there's a way to convince Republicans that that's the direction they got to go in. Like, And also like standing up to Fauci. I mean, what other guy has personally stood up to Fauci more than Rand Paul has? I don't know of one. I mean, he's been the guy who's grilled Fauci in front of Congress, in front of the Senate, you know, multiple times. Um, and, you know, Rand Paul falls short in my eyes in some areas. But I mean, if we're talking about going from MAGA to Rand Paul, I mean, that's such a ridiculous upgrade from the Republicans. And, you know, <laughs> we might I mean, we're in a weird spot, like I feel like these elections were mostly decided over abortion, which is something I did not see coming. So these social issues still have, you know, they still hold a lot more importance than I thought they did. I thought we were swinging hard right. I mean, I know I have a bit of an echo chamber where, uh, you know, with the people I communicate with and see every day, but apparently we're not. Apparently we're still pretty liberal country, like everywhere, except for Florida, maybe. Um, so maybe the conventional Republican approach just isn't going to work. I mean, and honestly, that, that makes a lot of sense. Aside from, so 2016, the congressional races, the Republicans did pretty well, but they barely won the presidency. You got to remember Donald Trump lost the popular vote by I think about 2 million votes. And he just squeaked it out in the swing states just enough to win the electoral college. And then he lost in 2020. And then, you know, the Republicans didn't do well in general in 2020. And then again, I mean, they, they might just barely scrape this one out. Um, so the the Democrats learned a lesson in 2016. They were cocky in 2016. They thought they had it in the bag. You know, they they were pouring champagne glasses before the election was over. They were ready to congratulate Hillary Clinton for finally winning her rightful throne to the U.S. presidency. And they lost. Donald Trump beat them. And after that, they have been super, super smart. So this might piss off some people who watch this show, but a lot of you already know this is my opinion. I do not believe the 2020 election was stolen because I think when you when you say the word stolen, you're being you're you're you're, uh, you're providing very, very specific connotations with that word. So 
if you're going to steal something, it means it's somebody else's. So somebody else already has something and you unlawfully take it from them, right? So that is to suggest that Trump actually won the election and then they somehow took it from him. They manufactured votes or destroyed votes or whatever. That's what stealing means when you say that. Now, then there's other words. There's fraud and then there's rigging. So there's fraud every election. That happens all the time. And then in 2020, I think there was probably more than usual because of all the mail-in voting. Um, and, uh, you know, uh, lots of people voting from home just because of the because uh, of coronavirus and stuff. So things were weird. So I'm sure there was more than usual. Um, and then there's rigging. Now, in a lot of ways, the election definitely was rigged. They covered up the Hunter Biden laptop story. Uh, you know, Russiagate had gone on throughout Donald Trump's entire presidency and it had painted him in a very negative light. And, you know, the Democrats own the media, most of it. That's a machine that works at their behest. So I don't think the Democrats had to cheat to beat Donald Trump. I think they changed the rules of the game. They censored important um, news stories that might have changed people's opinions. They had this intelligence agency backed coup against him, basically, through Russiagate. And then some of them changed the laws in their local states as far as like how you could vote and how long, how far back the votes could be counted for mail-in votes, all this type of shit. So they legally changed the rules of the game so that they basically couldn't lose. That's what happened in 2020. And the Republicans keep their head in the sands by just continuing this claim of stolen election that they were printing off millions of ballots in the middle of the night or burning them or whatever, burning ones for Trump or whatever. Like you guys are ignoring why you actually lose every time the Democrats get people registered to vote. They rewrite the laws. So it's easier for people who shouldn't be allowed to vote in your state to vote. So here in New Hampshire, the reason we had that blowout with Maggie Hassan is because apparently in New Hampshire, if you just have a domicile, which you don't have to have, you don't have to be a citizen of New Hampshire. You just have to live in New Hampshire. So you can be, you know, a 19 year old college kid from Michigan. But if you go to school at UNH and you can provide proof of residency, you can vote in a New Hampshire election. And so the Democrats realize all these liberal college kids care about abortion and transgender issues or whatever. So they placate the shit out of them and then they bust them to the polls to be able to vote. There were lines and lines of people lined up to register to vote, to register to vote. These aren't fake ballots. They're not burning shit in the middle of the night. These are registered legal voters showing up to vote for Maggie Hassan. They don't need to cheat. They don't need to lie. They don't need to, you know, fabricate anything. They change the rules of the game. They, you know, tell people months ahead of time to get registered. We'll help you get there. We'll do whatever we can. We've got an on the ground machine ready to go. The Republicans don't do that. What did the Republicans do this whole time? What did they do? Red wave. Red wave incoming. It's going to be huge. We're going to blow the Democrats out of the water. They're really going to pay for the last two years. That's overconfidence. That's also what happened in 2020. I don't know how many of my friends told me it was going to be a red wave that the, the crime and the riots going on in the cities was going to um, motivate Republican voters to get out in droves and repudiate the Black Lives Matter riots and all the lawlessness that had happened throughout the summer. And I personally thought Joe Biden was going to win and that the Democrats were going to retake a lot of the Senate and maybe governorships because a lot of people were forgetting that all this chaos was taking place while Trump was president and while the Senate controlled uh, the Senate was controlled by Republicans. So why would they think, oh, yeah, you know, Trump is really going to put an end to this. And if we get Republicans in charge, things will get better. A lot of Republicans initiated lockdowns in their states, including Ron DeSantis, uh, Kemp, uh, Sununu. <laughs> you know, a lot of these Republicans did lockdowns 
uh, even if, 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 you know, those three got rid of them faster than a lot of other places did, but still. Um, so why would people think, oh, if I vote Republican, all this will end. They, they didn't think that. So they didn't get out. Um, the Democrats know how to motivate their base. They know what they really care about. They know they care about abortion and they care about transgender or whatever. Like that, that's the stuff Democrats apparently care about. And I really thought that a lot of, um, you know, I thought a lot of this hype from the Democrats about being so extreme was really a vocal minority and that most Democrats are still kind of moderate. And then I thought that the MAGA Republicans really r represented, a, you know, most of the Republican base and the Republican half of voters. But apparently the opposite's true. Apparently most Democrats either do care about that stuff or they're brainwashed into thinking that the Republicans really are a bunch of crazy fascists. Like, man, the, the ads they were putting out about Don Baldick, Don Baldick is too extreme for New Hampshire. Don Baldick will be the one vote that Mitch McConnell needs to pass a nationwide abortion ban. Okay, so first of all, he was on the record as being against a nationwide abortion ban. He supported overturning Roe v. Wade. I mean, not that being on the record means anything for Don Baldick. He would change his opinion all the time. But he pretty clearly said, like, no, I don't support a nationwide abortion ban. And to call this guy a right-wing extremist, I went to a few of his rallies. He's just a typical Republican on, um, you know, on social issues. There's nothing extreme about the guy. He's just like your uncle, you know, your Republican uncle, just kind of a boomer con. The only thing extreme about him were his foreign policy views. And unfortunately, those aren't even that extreme, given most of the people in our government. Um, but the Democrats were very effective at convincing people that he was a right wing hooligan who had to be stopped at all costs. And all this to say, like Republicans, if you want to win, you got to fucking smarten up. And I know this means nothing coming from a libertarian because we obviously can't win shit. But the thing is, we're not supposed to win. We are supposed to get about what we got. <laughs> like, that's the thing. That's how libertarian. That's how the libertarian party works. Unfortunately, none of us were expecting to win. You guys were expecting to win. You should have won this. Maggie Hassan is not a popular senator. She's one of the most lobbied senators in the country. Um, not looked upon favorably. And she beat you by 10 points. And it's because they put out the groundwork. You know, when we went to these... Um, debate protests you guys can go back and watch uh my video where i talked about this we showed up to the um debate and there were like 50 maggie hassan supporters with these huge campaign signs like 50 of them with the you know like the five by eight campaign signs holding them up and um there were two don baldick supporters two with just little Baldock signs. And when she showed up, she had a huge show of support from all her supporters. She walked down the middle of the line with all the people chanting Maggie with big old signs and everything. Don showed up. Nothing, there were two of his supporters there. There were more Jeremy Kaufman people there than Don Baldock people. And that was it. You know, who's putting the work in? Uh, I, there's... <laughs> uh, it. I think uh, Maggie Hassan put like $26 million into her campaign and Dawn was like 900,000 or something like that. So all that to say, you don't need to steal anything. If this is how the game is being played, you don't need to. It's amazing that the Republicans win anything. Actually, if you really think about it, it's, it's incredible. Um, so I think the Republicans have to drop some of their, you know, they're, they're typical tropes that they use. Um, and I don't even necessarily think DeSantis would do that well nationwide anymore. Like, yes, he got he stomped his opposition in Florida. But I think a lot of that is from people moving to Florida. I'm not certain that he would absolutely railroad Biden like I thought. So I'm, I'm rethinking everything. Few few days ago, I thought there was a red wave coming. I thought if DeSantis runs for president, he wins 40 states landslide victory. That's probably not true. We were all wrong about a lot of shit. So I don't know. <laughs> I think if the Republicans moved in a more libertarian direction, it might help them 
it might help them in the long run. You know, I remember in 2016, the thought was Rand Paul was going to bring a more lowercase liberal approach to the Republican Party. You know, he was campaigning in uh, inner cities, talking to uh, black communities where they're fucked over by occupational licensing and records, uh, you know, for being arrested and they can't get jobs. Uh, he wasn't hawkish on immigration. Um, he thought the people who were already here illegally should have a path to citizenship. Uh, it was just a different approach. And it was like, wow, maybe if this guy wins, it's going to be hard to beat him. And then Trump came in and, you know, we went that direction instead. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it's time to reconsider that strategy with a Rand Paul type figure now, because the love fest with MAGA seems to be over and it's arguably been over for you know six years it was i mean it, it it was a bit of a fluke in 2016 he barely won and then the republicans lost the house in 2018 and then they lost the presidency and the senate in 2020 and now after lockdowns and rampant inflation and world war three on the horizon they can barely take the house and the senate back if they do it's still not 100 guaranteed yet so i think they need to reassess and uh if things stay uh consistent uh with the libertarian party we're a fucking joke i mean we don't have any leverage we had no leverage the only place we have leverage is in georgia and we likely saved that election for herschel walker because there's lots of republicans saying like Oh my God, you know, the libertarians stole Georgia from Herschel Walker. If you know Chase Oliver, he's not going to take Republican votes on his bio until they finally got him to change it. It used to say politics like gender is non-binary. And he's always tweeting about open borders and LGBTQ LMNOP rights and, um, you know, legalizing all drugs. By the way, I agree with most of this stuff, but I'm just saying like, People don't think of that stuff when they think of me. They think of, you know, the things that I really project, like foreign policy being a bit of a, you know, um, a provocateur. Like all, when you think of Chase Oliver, you think of these socially progressive views with a libertarian flavor to them. That's who he is. So the idea that he's taking votes away from Walker is pretty funny. So now if this gets, you know, it is going to be thrown into a runoff. And now if the balance of the Senate is hanging on Herschel Walker, if anything, that's going to motivate more Republicans to come out and vote for Herschel Walker so that it doesn't go over to the Democrats again, because I think most of the Democrats probably already came out in the original election and a bunch of Republicans probably didn't bother because they thought it was going to be a red wave. So now, <laughs> you know, if anything, you're more likely to get Herschel Walker into the Senate. So. That's what we got for us. We got Herschel Walker into the Senate, maybe. That, that's our big bragging right as the Libertarian Party. Uh, we didn't cover the spread for Fetterman. We didn't cover it for Maggie Hassan and Don Baldick. We definitely didn't make much of a difference in uh, Arizona because he dropped out. <laughs> and then he still got more than, you know, uh, he still got more percentage than chase oliver or jeremy kaufman or the dennis down in uh florida um so i don't know like the lp national it doesn't have anything to brag about right now i don't think so so um i i think the best immediate strategy is trying to convince the republicans that they should follow rand paul's example because rand paul has been the guy against fauci against world war three against giving money to ukraine against um uh, you know, the the Department of Truth or the Ministry of Truth, you know, with Nina Yankovic's all that stuff, like uh, the guy who stood against COVID mandates and uh, lockdowns and everything. I think that's the most effective way to go right now is to just try to influence the Republicans to be better. Um, but I really look at the Libertarian Party as a backup. So I voted for Bruce Fenton in the primary and i absolutely would have voted for him in the general election jeremy coffin was like a backup okay if there's no one to vote for i want to give a middle finger to the republicans for screwing me over and so they'll try to improve themselves next time 
there's not even really a case to be made for that now. I mean, the, the, the best case I can make to the Republicans is like, look, you guys sucked so hard that even if all of us had voted for you, it wouldn't have made a difference. So smarten the fuck up. That's that's the best case I can make to the Republicans here in New Hampshire is that they sucked so bad. Even if I'd wanted to help them, they couldn't have done anything. So there's work to be done on both sides. Um, yeah, that's all I got, guys. I wish I was doing a more uh, optimistic stream post-election. I wish, um, you know, I wish I could be like, yeah, libertarians, go. You know, we really sent a message. We got that 10% and the Republicans barely lost to the Democrats and they realized they need to listen to libertarians if they want to win. But that's not really the case. I guess we need to listen to Democrats if we want to win. I hate to say that, but that seems to be the truth. They know what they're doing on the ground. They fucking get their feet out there and, you know, get their people to the polls and they pay their protesters and supporters to show up and hold big signs. Uh, they run the media for the most part. Um, they know what they're fucking doing. Um, the Republicans don't, and obviously the libertarians don't. So there's gotta be a lot of talk about strategy. Like that's what these next couple months should be doing. We should be, um, you know, we should, we should be reflecting on how things went and seeing what we can do to reassess and try to push things in the right direction. But um, <clears throat> I should be on with Scott Ritter soon. I've emailed him a couple times. He said he'll get back to me soon. Um, that'll be cool. We'll be talking about the war in Ukraine. I'm going to be continuing to focus on that. Um, and yeah, continuing to focus on New Hampshire, especially, I mean, after this election, how can you think that there's hope for this country? It just isn't. It's a joke. I mean, the federal government is so far gone. Let's, uh, let's, uh, let's focus on our own lives and our own localities, our own families and see what we can do. But I got to go guys. Thanks for watching. Catch you on the next stream.